What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay, and this show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon and the wonderful people on the Bestseller Academy. Without their support, we simply couldn't keep this going. We really genuinely couldn't. So if you want to support us, if you want to get involved with the Academy, let's talk about the Academy first, because it's 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 just wonderful. If you want to learn, you know, whatever level you're at, you're just beginning or you're published. We've got all sorts of people there finding their own way to publication, finding their own way, their own journey, making their own journey to discover what kind of writer they are. Pop over to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and check that out. And then pop over to bestsellerexperiment forward slash support if you want to check out Patreon. Get all sorts of fun stuff there. Not least, uh, nearly 100 deep dives. We're rapidly getting towards, you know, that on the deep dives and got some interesting stuff lined up. So Quite the encyclopedia, isn't it, Mr. Stay? It's amazing over time i mean we always joke about five plus years of the podcast i mean we just do one episode at a time but when you stand back and look at it you think blimey that's a lot of hours it's <laughs> a lot of hours that's happened there but yes welcome everyone hi mr stay how is everything with you this week it's a bit quieter this week you know <sighs> I, I i haven't got anything recorded by dame of the realm or anything which you know i i I could get used to it having one every week, but no, you know. But what I have been doing, um, John Wright and I, uh, director of Robot Overlords and Unwelcome, we've got another project on the go and it's about to go out. So we're doing that thing where we're putting it, the script on a big screen, we're reading it out loud, we're going through it line by line. We call it our collabo read. Um, so we're, we're going be going through that, which has been sort of painstaking, but I, it's a process I, part of the process I really enjoy because it's, it's when it's about to go out to the, to the world and, and then we start getting uh, feedback on that. Um, and the other thing, and this sort of ties in to our conversation with our very special guest this week, I've got two projects where negotiations are ongoing. And this is where I realised just how much I love and adore and need my agents. And it's it's something we talk about in the interview as well. Brilliant stuff. And actually talking about multiple projects, one of the really fascinating discussions I had this week uh, we had an academy coaching, a life coaching session in the academy, actually the first one of the year. And one of the questions that came up, and this is really interesting, it was is a question about how one of the biggest problems some writers have is they just have too many projects on the go. Guilty as charged. And I can vouch for that. I know you can vouch for that. And I write, and I so I did a little poll amongst all our academy members, and I asked asked people who were live on the Zoom call. I said, 
you know, how many of you have more than one project they're currently working on? And about 60 to 70% of people put their hands up. And so I'm thinking, okay, everyone who's listening to this podcast, I'm sure that number is probably reflective of our, of, of everyone who's listening. And we went to this really deep conversation and discussion and coaching session around the pros and cons of working on a number of different projects. Cause there, there are, there are pros to it you know some people get stuck in one project and they get an opportunity to flip to something else that gives their mind a break but what the one of the biggest takeaways was we talked about what the biggest problems are with that and how it can really hold back your publishing career and getting things finished so yeah we, we it's been a really interesting conversation so i would say to anyone out there who is struggling with that right now and it's something that has been a problem all my life and, and the one of the conclusions was we're all so creative. We can't just stop new ideas coming up when we're writing on one project. We just can't stop it. I mean, it's just part of who we are. So we have to manage it. We have to actually have a technique, a strategy around how we manage it. Um, so if you're interested in listening into that coaching session, we actually have all of the coaching sessions on the Academy recorded. So if you come and join the Bestseller Academy, you can access, well, it's coming up to now about 40 to 50 hours worth of coaching on both craft and on really important subjects like, you know, what do you do when you're working on too many projects? It's absolutely fascinating conversation. My tip is try not to have them all at the same stage of development. Mm. If you've got one where you're just starting out making notes and then you've got one where you're in the thick of a first draft and you've got one where you're polishing it off, I find that's quite manageable because you're exercising different parts of the creative brain. Yeah. And also notebooks, that big stack of notebooks. Love a notebook. Always keep the projects... Always keep Look the project separate. You're gonna have you're gonna have to have Mark a new a new bookcase. You can see anyone watching this on YouTube. Um, you can see Mark's a lovely bookcase in the back with all his Empire magazines. But you're gonna have to have a brand new bookcase just for your notepads because they are just filling up, aren't they? Funny you should say that. <laughs> really? I am, I, yeah, I am gonna you're be ordering a, a few more IKEA Billy bookcases. There are, there are gonna be changes. <laughs> to this background oh, here uh, very because nice. i i have uh, i have run out of room and because i you know believe it or not that is in some sort of order yeah. sort of um, and i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to be moving stuff about so uh, yeah watch this watch the space watch, youtube viewers watch the space <laughs> and then watch the space disappear as mark <laughs> fills it with <laughs> fills it up again yeah, 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 yeah. but talking <laughs> of talking of books in different stages that leads us very nicely onto our guest this week because it's something oh, that we're good that's good talked about right there's very a and i found that bit really interesting <laughs> so mark tell us about our, our lovely returning guest uh, yes. samantha king Yes, Samantha King, she originally came on episode 51, and I'll put a link uh, to that in the show notes so you can check that out. But she's a, a former editor, and Samantha is fascinated by stories that tap into our darkest fears and expose our secret longings. And she's explored that in what they call domestic noir in her books, The Choice and The Sleepover. But her latest novel, The Secret Keeper's Daughter, was inspired by a worry box, and it taps into themes of parental paranoia and children's mental health and we discuss among other things putting your worst nightmares on the page life as an author beyond the debut and writer's mental health through the highs and lows of a career this is a good one folks so let's jump in and listen to mark jack with the lovely samantha king samantha king welcome back to the bestseller experiment how are you today Thank you very much, Mark. I'm very well and delighted to be here. Oh, we're, we're delighted to, to get you back. Now, a lot has happened since we last spoke, not least another two books at least. Um, but yes, tell us about 
your new book, The Secret Keeper's Daughter. And I'm absolutely fascinated by this idea of it all was inspired by a worry box. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So the worry box really was the start of my um, beginning to think of an idea for my third novel. And it was something I'd used with my own kids um, at home when they were anxious and I'd get them to post little notes in it and then we, we'd chat about what they'd written and so on. And um, I was cleaning up one day, as you do, going through the kids' wardrobes and I found this old worry box and I started to think, what if a mum found horrible notes in it and it set her imagination going? It set my imagination going and I started to imagine what these notes might be and that's where the idea came from. Okay. Uh, I mean, you're all about um, putting your worst nightmares on the page, aren't you? I remember this the last time we spoke to you. This is, uh, in some ways, I, I, I kind of do a similar thing as well. You, you take the thing that you fear the most and you put it on the page. Is, is that sort of writing as, as therapy for you? And how does that come out in The, in the Secret Keeper's Daughter? I think it is absolutely therapy for me and um, writing. I, I think for most people who write, there's an element of writing out their own fears, their own worries, figuring out stuff about people they know. Um, and for The Secret Keeper's Daughter, it worked on a number of levels because I really wanted to write about parental paranoia. What what we as parents think is going on in our children's minds and we never quite know so the worry box gave me the chance not only to lay clues for what's going on for seven-year-old Marley in the story, who's suddenly become very withdrawn and quiet, and her mum is absolutely terrified what's going on for her. But those notes also gave me a chance to unpick what had been going on for the mum in her own past, in her own family. So that that's very much following a kind of therapeutic process in a way that um as as you know even as adults is what's going on with us now in the current time and then what we can unravel from the past so the worry box was a vehicle for that and the story kind of took off from there excellent stuff and it's um you your books have evolved i think i mean they they all have this kind of uh i think you call it domestic noir which is they they take uh thriller genre elements but you put them in an ordinary household. You, 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 you know, you're not one for the big high concept thing. You're, you're one for for putting it in people's living rooms and bedrooms and kitchens. So why, why are you doing that? Absolutely. I mean, I think I love a high concept thriller and something that is kind of, you know, really out there. And um, to a certain extent, my debut, The Choice, was a little bit more high concept. It was very much in, uh, in the, the coma state of the, the central character, figuring out what had gone on, how she got there. Um, but I think for me, the really darkest fears in my life are so ordinary. And, and sometimes in fiction, I think, you know, there's a, there's a danger of thinking you have to have something really extraordinary or dramatic happen to, for a character to be terrified. And when I wrote The Sleepover, my second book, that was based on the fact that one day our daughter seemed to have gone missing on the way to school. And it was a matter of, you know, half an hour, but that half an hour was enough to make me question absolutely everything. So a very small event can feel huge in the domestic realm. And 
that's where I really like to write. It's just in the small details of everyday life that we can all relate to with, with our partners, with our friends, with our kids. Um, to me, that is far more terrifying than, than you know, a police drama, for instance. Mm-hmm. Do you find do you get sort of feedback from your readers letting you know that's what they like about your stories? Is that why you've can you know you've you've evolved this kind of domestic noir genre for yourself? I, I think so. I mean, nothing sort of makes me happier than when a reader says, "Oh, that happened to me in that way," or "I worry about that," or "That's something that really sort of preoccupies me in my family," and I related to that character. Um, and, and yeah, that's what I try to write: characters that we can all relate to, and that readers will feel. Um, a connection with and that it really could happen to them do you think do you think your have your kids twigged that you're basing some of your stories you know if they go missing for half an hour yeah are are they thinking you know what i'm uh, i'm going to turn my phone off for half an hour just to wind mum up and maybe she'll get a book deal out of it do you you think they've twigged onto this yet Um, I think, I mean, we do talk at home about my books and what I write about, and they know that I'm kind of inspired. I think, again, sometimes I've asked them directly, you know, particularly when I'm writing about teenagers, what what do kids talk about? What, you know, try to get the lingo that they use, lingo, but the slang (laughs) that they they speak, you know, to try and get that authentic voice. But um, they don't read my books and mm. I think that it feels a little bit cringy and a little bit too close for comfort but um yeah I think it's inevitable I'm writing about family life I'm writing about the kids and actually I have to say you know there are so now they're teenagers there's so much going on there are stories that I could write that I don't think anyone would actually believe you know it's 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 incredible the material there but yeah I'm respectful of the fact that it's it's their lives and their friends lives and our family life so it's all fictionalized Good, good, good. Uh, you don't live in fear of the day that they will read your books because my I don't think my kids read mine either. Um, in fact, very few family members of mine read my books. And there's mine, I don't think mine are as, uh, as personal as, as yours necessarily. But, um, you know, do, do you live in fear of the day when they're going to pick it up and go, oh, mom? I do. <laughs> I, I do, to be honest. It's, you know, they are personal and. Um, you know, I don't write kind of love scenes. Gosh, can you imagine your kids reading? I mean, like, obviously there are people that do, but um, it, it's, yeah, it does give an insight into to how I am as a mum. And in a way, I do sort of feel that my books are almost love letters to my kids. I always mention them in the acknowledgements. I always acknowledge that they've inspired me, that I write because of them and I write for them and they are right at the heart of everything that I do and um, not every book will be about parents or being a mum or that kind of thing but um, certainly the emotions I've had as a mum have been the most impactful on me in my writing and so yeah I give credit to them for that but at the same time yeah it will be embarrassing when they read the books. You've just reminded me there's a sex scene in Back to Reality that I'm dreading <laughs> them picking up. Um, anyway, that's enough of me. Uh, <laughs> like I said, it's been a long time since we spoke. Episode 51, folks, and I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go back and, and listen to our, our first interview with uh, Samantha. Um, a lot has happened. You've 
change publishers. You know, it's it's um it's always really interesting to circle back to authors, particularly if we spoke to them for their debut, because I think there is a thing. Certainly, a lot of listeners will think, "Great, I'll write one book, I'll get an agent, I'll get published, and off I go." And it's all you know, plain sailing. It's all you know, days of wine and roses. It's mm-hmm. um, I don't think for any author, it's like that frankly but it'd be interesting just and you work and you worked in the industry so, <laughs> it's, so, it's so weird because yeah I, yeah I had been an editor for 15 years and I, I knew how it worked but when you flip to the other side of the desk and it's very different and I've I've learned a huge amount both about being an author, but being an editor. And and I sort of look back and think, could I have done things differently myself? And certainly it's been a massive, steep learning curve from the debut. And I went into that feeling excited and terrified, but it's hope and expectation. It's all before you. The mountain is to climb. And what I didn't realize is that further you get up the mountain, it grows there's another mountain, there's another peak, and there's a few little avalanches coming at you and you slide down this way and you find your footing again. And um, so it's it's a mountain range rather than a mountain. And as long as you keep remembering where you want to get to and enjoy the view, I'm, not, I'm going really down this mountain. And oh, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this, I'm loving this. Yeah. <laughs> enjoy the view on the way up because you don't know how far... Um, don't look down don't look too far up keep your (laughs) eyes on your feet and just keep going one step at a time excellent now i really like that it's um it's when when you get the sort of the slings and arrows when it's not quite the dream of what you think it might be and i you know i'm talking to author friends at the moment and things you know people are saying oh book sales are up book sales are great but you know 80% 80% of those are probably Richard Osman. <laughs> the rest of us are kind of, you know, trying to, to make our way. Bookshops, you know, we've I've had, you know, one launched in lockdown, another launched when I had COVID. And, you know, it's uh, you, you're constantly plugging away out there. Um, it's, it's sort of that staying positive and sort of thinking of your own mental health. How do you do that on a Moving the mountain metaphor to one mm-hmm. side, um, how do you keep writing every day? How do you how do you keep perspective and, and motivated? That is a very good question, and it is tough. And and as I, you're absolutely right that it's, um, you know, there are highs, there are lows. Highs being great reviews, seeing your book out there, holding it for the first time, getting comments from readers. That's all brilliant. And the lows, yeah, occasional bad reviews books not selling as well as you would hope or um you know things just there's all kinds of things that can go wrong as it were but it's it's holding on to why you write I think that's the key remembering the pleasure of the process and it is a process and it is a journey and it's your journey because the other thing that I found that I didn't really realize was the impact of social media going into to being an author when I worked as an editor, we didn't have social media. Everything was word of mouth or in person. And now the, the power of the internet and um, going on Twitter and seeing somebody else selling 10 million copies or whatever, it's that compare and despair. And it you have to put it to one side and you have to remember, this is why I write. I write because I love to write. And what comes of it is fantastic. 
Um, and if I have days when I feel despair, I, I switch off the internet, I go back, I reread what I'm writing. Um, I might read a, a book by another author that inspires me. And I, I remember, yeah, this is why I'm doing it. Um, but it is tough. And I, I don't think it gets easier because with every single book, you are you are starting at the bottom of that mountain again. Um, and, you know, every author hopes for the lucky breakthrough, the, 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 the book that's going to capture the bestseller lists or whatever. But you have to almost think small, dream big. Just keep focusing on what you're writing. And but I struggle with my mental health. I think all authors do. You are home, you are isolated, you are susceptible to self-doubt, paranoia, despair. Why do I even do this? So mm. there's a lot of self-talk that has to go on, I think. You know, just just keep focused on the writing. Yeah, I think we had um I think both Sarah Pimbra and Jerba Crombie have, have said the same thing to us on here, which is it's not a zero-sum game. Just because someone else is doing well, it doesn't mean that you, because of them you're doing badly. And I think there is this thing, we're in competition, it's a race, we've got to get, especially with charts, we've got to get to the top of this chart, top of that chart. And I appreciate the irony of saying this on a podcast called The Best Seller Experiment, but it's not about, in the end, it's not about chart positions, is it? It's about reaching those readers and it's about exploring the ideas that scare you as you said yeah i i agree and I, I think that when i was first offered my first publishing contract it was an absolute dream and i, I was so excited it was i felt such a privilege to be published and you know on days when i feel oh it's not going so well or could it be going better i i always come back to that thrill that my books are out there other people are reading them and it, it is a privilege. I do feel lucky uh, for that to have happened. And um, yeah, that, that's what I always come back to and try to remember. It's not it's not a race. It's not a competition with other people, with other authors. It's it's about almost competition with yourself. Can I write better mm. each time? Can I do something different each time? And striving for that rather than worrying about some kind of imaginary finishing tape that everyone's got over first. <laughs> Let's let's talk about some of those bumps in the road, though, because um, your second book, I believe, was published during lockdown, which is a is a challenge, which a lot of us faced. I mean, I I had it. A lot of authors we've spoken to, but that uh, and and of course, you know, <clears throat> you write about fear and fear of the unknown, and your book launched in the middle of a big unknown. You know, when was this thing going to end? Uh, how does it change? You know, what were the what were the challenges you you faced launching a book in lockdown, and, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I think it was just the kind of silence of it. Um, the, the the book came out, it was in paperback. Um, it, just nobody saw it. it. It didn't go anywhere. And so it was a sort of a fizzle and um, rather than a bang. And that was, it was hard when you've worked really, really hard at a book and you, you want it to go out there. You want people to read it. You want people to find it and see it in a shop. Um I never saw it in a bookshop. I, I just kind of went out. And although readers did find it, they found it online, they found it on Amazon and, and, and so on. And, and, and it was all fine, but it, it was, I knew that the sales would take a dip and it all felt like, well, that's nothing to do with me. I've done the best job that I can and it's gone out into the world and the world has turned against me. So um, it was hard and I, almost had to just turn my attention to the next book pretty much immediately. 
And I did so by actually in, in conversation with my agent for the third book, I did change publisher. We mm. went down a digital first route. Um, all my books have been published in ebook as well. But with The Secret Keeper's Daughter, we had a really strong HQ, gave it a very strong digital online focus first. So it felt like I was playing into the new world order with that and, and, and going with the flow. So um, for me, it's my words getting out there, whether they are um, digital or physical. So that was that was the sort of exciting thing that I held on to. But there's no doubt that for so many authors, um, not being able to see their books in the bookshop, not going to events. Yeah, it, it was the void that we all felt at that time. It was very hard. Let's talk about switching publisher because that can be um again it's something we don't talk about enough on on the podcast I don't think because uh, again you you assume I've got a publisher I'll stay with them to my dying day but of course you know you look at the track record of a lot of authors they will jump from one publisher to another there'll be different opportunities what was uh, you were piakas for the first two books you were with HQ uh with uh, Secret Keeper's Daughter what was the attraction with HQ uh, was it the digital first thing? Was it was it the the editor? What was what drew you to them? It, it was a combination of things. I think my writing was changing, going from more thriller, darker edge, harder edge, psychological to suspense to a more emotional feel. Um, and I, I I felt I was ready for a change. I felt the digital focus, the energy that HQ had, was phenomenal mm-hmm. and what every author looks for is that editor who is going to be really passionate about your writing and really get what you're writing. And I immediately felt comfortable with my new editor and she just clicked, we clicked in terms of what I was trying to write about. And that was really enticing because you are on your own writing. You need that creative partnership. And when you feel that there's someone on your side, who's really, excited for what you're going to write that that really means a lot and 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 that's kind of how it came about there were were other strategic discussions with my agent and you know this would be a good place for you and a a good time to move so it was a combination of factors but I immediately felt at home with HQ really welcomed into their energy but uh, yeah absolutely when I signed my first deal I thought this is it I'm set I'm, I'm a very loyal person. I, yeah. you know, I, and, yeah. and not someone who embraces change massively. So it, it was hard. It was strange, but yeah, absolutely. In, in, for all authors, it's, it's not one road. There's, there's paths coming off it left, right and center, and you have to learn to be open to those. I think you're right. I think when we first get published, we're so grateful. There's so much, oh, someone's publishing me. <laughs> we, we, and we don't necessarily always think what's best for us. I think it's um, we're so desperate to be <laughs> to be loved uh, yeah. and to be accepted that we think, oh, this is great. And sometimes, you know, things don't turn out as well as you you might hope with a publisher, or you might think, oh, I could be doing better, or or I, something's not quite gelling. So you do have to be a bit tough sometimes. And this is why we have agents. I, I do say to people, you know, your agent can be the bad guy for you. They can go in there and, and have those difficult conversations. Not that you need to hide behind them or anything, but that, you know, they 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 negotiate and you're but that's how they earn their, you know, 15% or whatever. Exactly. So it's um it is it 
it become and if you're doing this full time as well it's one thing when you're <clears throat> excuse me when you're when you've got a day job and you've got other income coming in you think oh this is kind of a hobby or whatever but when you're doing this for a living you're thinking if I don't start earning money, I can't pay the mortgage or we don't eat or suddenly, you know, we're reliant on something else. So you have to get a bit hard nosed, don't you? Which is quite a tough transition. If like me, you're a, a lily livered, you know, softy who wants to be liked. Yeah. And, and, and that I think is the, the dichotomy at the heart of that relationship between author, editor and publisher. Mm. It's a business. Publishing yes. is a business. Your editor is, is is really caught in the middle of that because they have to make money for the publisher. They have to help the author um, develop their writing. So it, on the one hand, you want to build that friendly, close, trusting relationship. On the other hand, you're aware that it, you know, you're not friends in that sense, that if they need to make business decisions, they will. And if you yeah. need to make business decisions I can't, that's really hard to say as an author <laughs> <laughs> you will um so it, it, it is that sort of mixture of um it's all publishing is a creative friendly personal industry but it is an industry it's a business yeah. Yeah. And listeners, it is quite early in the morning. So phrases like business decisions are very, <laughs> I don't know about you. I need another cup of tea. I need more caffeine this morning, uh, Samantha. Um, what's coming next from you? So I am, um, as ever with, with every author, there's a book you're promoting, there's a book you're writing, and there's a book you're revising. And, and, right. and that's the way it goes. So <laughs> The Secret Keeper's Daughter is just out in paperback. I'm really excited that it's getting some attention, that readers are enjoying it, and I want to continue to, to build on that. Um, I'm writing a brand new book um, at the moment as well, but I've just received revisions for my second book with HQ. Can't reveal the title yet, but I'm I'm busy working on that. So that again is in a, um, a, a domestic vein, um, a set around a marriage, a family, and all those picking those sort of underlying fears that we all have, but that are exposed when something dramatic happens. Fantastic! Can't wait! Can't wait! Well, Samantha, thank you so much for coming back to speak to us again. And let's not leave it so long next time. Do come back and speak to us when the next book is out. Uh, it'd be lovely to catch up with you again. And folks, the Secret Keeper's Daughter is out there, along with the Choice and the Sleepover. Do enjoy them all. Don't have nightmares. Uh, thank you so much. Have to speak to you again soon. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. This may not surprise you, Mister Stay, but. In our house, we have the opposite of a worry box. We have something called a gratitude box. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually... We have, we, it's, have, it's, we, have, we have boxes of cornflakes. That's as far as it goes. Do, do you have a swear jar in your house? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'd be skinned. I'd be absolutely skinned. <laughs> Brilliant. But yeah, I love that story about the worry box because let's, let's face it... Um, and it's, I mean, oh, as a parent, I was, I was thinking absolutely like how this idea of how you just can't ever fully know what your child is thinking about. And I think what I love about what Samantha was talking about there is, is the way firstly she connected this idea of a worry box to bringing out our worst fears, because that's, that's a great, great, and it's obviously a great way of putting them out, out of your head as well and putting them into a worry box. But then how she took it to like the, the nth level by, you know, taking something that was something that she used in the family and then thinking, right, the classic kind of question we often ask, you know, 
what's the worst that could happen or, or, or you know, how challenging can we make this situation for our protagonist? I think it's just a genius way of coming up with a storyline and something which has got so much substance as well. I think what she does so brilliantly is she takes small domestic events and makes them feel huge and makes them all relatable. And this is this is a for writers, this is it's really interesting to have a conversation about stakes. They don't need to be earth shattering. They don't need to be world changing. They just need to be relatable. They they you need to, you know, make the stakes in a way so that we think, gosh, that could happen to me, or or at least understand what the protagonist has to lose uh, from from that. Uh, it's interesting that I, you know, I, and if you're writing something in a domestic situation, if someone's, you know, if one of your member of your family is facing torment or death or some kind of, you know, mental health trauma, that's all very relatable. But even if you're writing genre fiction, if you're writing stuff with dragons and spaceships or, or whatever, you've got to make those stakes relatable in a way that the reader can I, I love I love Marvel's recent TV show Hawkeye and it wasn't the you know the big adventure that I was hooked by it was the fact that he promised his family he would be home by Christmas and whatever he did <laughs> you know he kept, every episode says it's going to be one more day I have to defeat this criminal I have to help this person and I'll be home for Christmas and that is something you know we're not one of the Avengers, but we can all relate to that, you know, Absolutely. letting down the family. Oh know? my so gosh. Yeah. It's what it really boils down to is it boils down to tapping into the human condition, regardless of the world you're building or the situation you're in. Because as a parent, I totally get it. Like, you know, as your, as your child kind of moves, say into kind of the beginning of teen teendom, things change. And, and when you first experience that as a parent, like let's, let's talk parenting for a second. Like, Go back to that time when your kid did something, which was the first time one of your kids had done that, and you were absolutely horrified by it. I mean, right? <laughs> How long right? have you got? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, just as a, as a, as a, as an example, not this hasn't happened to me, but you know, like you know, one of your kids comes home and says, "Mum, Dad, got a tattoo," and you're like, uh, "Okay." <laughs> Uh, where where is it how big is it what does it say right because you, you kind of you go there don't you as a parent and it, and in that moment it's the most her it could be i mean some parents might be like awesome but some parents might be like this is the most the worst thing that could happen and so in that moment as a parenting experience it's horrendous it's really big isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mum, dad, I'd like you to meet Bubba. Um, yeah, well, funnily enough, my son today, he's uh he's he's already looking forward to his second year at uni and they're moving mm. out of halls and he and some mates are renting uh a house. And so he's signing the documents today. <laughs> right, and, I know. And uh, you know, and we like has a grown up looked at yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So much has dad has looked at it, and then okay, and then I got a message about twenty minutes before we started recording. Dad, can I uh, can I put you down as the guarantor? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh that's brilliant! <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Right. So the, it's the first times of all that, and so I think what's really interesting is like I've got three children, so I've now got I've been through a lot of things three times, and it's always different. <laughs> Blessing. It's always different. But, you know, the first time, I really feel sorry for the eldest child in every family because they're always the one that either makes the mistake or yeah. they can't, not allowed to do stuff. And then the youngest can do it way earlier. But, but mm. the point is, is that as, as a parent, you kind of, 
relax, I think. <laughs> as, like, I've relaxed a bit. I've relaxed into parenting. You know, I've got an elder <laughs> teen uh, who's now left home um, and I've got mm. a, a young just about to be a teen in a couple of weeks, right? So mm. I, I'm much more relaxed. But I remember thinking back about the fear I had, you know, like the first time your kid go walks down to the shops by themselves, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, my kids, my, my, my parents let me kind of, you know, do stuff a lot younger, I think, than a lot of kids do today. But it's that experience as the parent. So really we can swap, you know, parenting with with anything, you know, whether it's uh, writing or or whether it's, you know, um being being a you know the child of a family. It's it's whatever the human condition experiences of how big or horrendous that moment when it happens is for you. It's really, really fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's grist to the mill for any author, I think. But like I say, you, it doesn't have to be earth shattering. It just has to be relatable. And it's um, it's so important to, uh, because otherwise, if, if the reader can't relate, then you lose the reader. Simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually that's part of part of the magic in what Samantha does is that because she really hones in on those relatable things that happen, um, it helps us avoid getting too complicated or trying to make it too big or clever, really. I mean, it, it's about really keeping that focus. I mean, if you think about it, I think a lot of an interesting, an interesting analogy is a lot of the most popular stand-up comedians. The most popular stand-up comedians often just observe everyday stuff and laugh about it. And my, Mike McIntyre is a classic for that. He just takes a situation in his house and then just describes exactly what we know happens in our life. But we all laugh about it because he's just able to give us that kind of view on it because it's relatable. And if it's not relatable, then people wouldn't in some way find it as, as funny. And, and again, the same goes, it's about connecting that emotion, isn't it? The emotional journey of what, what the, what the person's experiencing both as the reader and the protagonist. So yeah, she's really super good at that. I think as well, one of the other things Samantha said that was interesting, Mark, was this idea of everyday life and the way that f when the when you can relate to the fear, it's a kind of a bigger fear, isn't it? In some ways, because mm. it can be real. Yeah, it's um, it, it hits you in in the home, hits you in you know where where you live, literally in Samantha's case, you know. So it's uh, yeah, it's I, I, I think. Again, going back to genre stuff as well, because there will be people going, well, I don't want to write domestic thrillers. I want to write about monsters and goblins and things like that. But I think the most successful Doctor Who monsters are the ones that, you know, you know the angels, the, the blink angels. We've all mm. been in a graveyard and we've all thought, seen something out of the corner of our eye and thought, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, Did it move? <laughs> or, yeah. yeah, or the uh, you know the the autons that all look like mannequins in shops. You know, if you take that everyday stuff and make it scary, yeah. Or, well, you know, kids' that... toys. I mean, it and the clown. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. clowns. Yeah, yeah absolutely craziness. You know, so, let's yeah. let's let's talk about family members and reading books. I think this is a really interesting <laughs> one, isn't it? Because because I think actually we've we haven't talked about this before on the podcast in over five years, but I think it's actually a very common thing that many many author's experience and on one level it's it's kind of strange because you think well of course they're going to read my book when it's done i think as a first time author you think yeah of course they're going to read but I, they don't do they no they don't it's no, they really, really don't. interesting <laughs> and i wonder I, why that is and i wonder if it's a good thing or a bad thing uh i mean i i i, I genuinely don't know i think claire read back to reality for legal reasons 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think she's read anything else. She, you know, she's watched my films or whatever. That's easy. Yeah. That's just 90 minutes, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> committing to a whole book. <laughs> committing, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just, um, I don't, it's weird. I mean, my yeah. parents have got my books. They've got them on the shelves. They're very happy, very proud. Mm. I don't know if they've read them. Um, and maybe that's for the best. I don't know. But I don't know. the thing is, I don't, I don't write them for them. You know, I know. I, 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 yeah. I, you know, I dedicated a book to the end of magic. I dedicated to my mum and dad. I said to mum, dad, and all those trips to the library. Um, I don't even think they've read that because I've never <laughs> bloody brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's in some ways, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I kind of always joke about the fact that. You know, my family hear me waffling on all day long. The last thing they want to do is <laughs> yeah. disappear off to their bedroom and listen to me waffle yeah. on for another chapter. But um, I do think that um, I do think it's really interesting. I know that I know that my family read Back to Reality. I think it was as much out of the excitement that it was a debut kind of novel as well. And mm. I kind of I always I always relate to this in music. This is a really interesting one. Um, when you go in and do your first gig first ever gig in the pub, yeah, the local yeah. pub, and you tell everyone about, I'm doing this gig and it's like we've got this new band together. And you do the gig, everyone and their mother shows up. It's absolutely yeah. brilliant. It's like best night. We had, pe we had people who couldn't get in. They couldn't get in. And they were like, and there was, I was thinking, oh, it's all going to happen now because like people are going to be thinking we missed out on this, you know, the next big band who couldn't even get in. <laughs> Second gig at the same venue, month later, Tumbleweed, literally. <laughs> it was it was the two percent of people out of the hundred percent who actually liked the music, and I think we talked about this last week, didn't we? With Kickstarters, it's like you know people you know will be pledge and and they definitely will support you the first time, and that's really mm. awesome. But then the reality really hits. So the second book might not get read by a family member. It might not get to read be, by a partner. To be fair to my mum, I think she came to all my plays. One of which was excruciating. Now the first one because it was about. Essentially, I wrote a play about my mum and dad, and me and Claire were playing <laughs> versions of my mum. Dad's oh my to gosh, sing. that is awesome! But that went down really well. That was really great. Uh, I remember we did a production of Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune, which is a two-hander. So it's me and Claire on stage all night. Okay, um, and uh, it was one of those where I think people didn't make the connection with the film because there's a film mm. just called Frankie and Johnny. And the audiences weren't great. Uh, and one night, the audience consisted of my mum, okay? <laughs> one person in the audience. So I figured, right, show must go on. But but the play opens with the two characters having sex on stage. <laughs> so we're in a studio theatre, the My Studio in Epsom. Claire and I are simulating intercourse on stage, and the only person in the audience is my mum. Oh. And then... At the end, she sat there, gave us a little round of applause. I said, you could at least give us a standing ovation. So that, <laughs> that, wow, it's like confessional, isn't it? I that was, it. Um, yeah, it's pretty. That's pretty kind of awesome. like the reverse, <laughs> that's the reverse situation <laughs> that usually happens, happened to me, mm. basic <laughs> instinct, 11 o'clock at night, 16 years old, whatever it was, parents had gone to bed. Basic instinct was on. I whacked it on. I thought, oh, I've heard all about this. This is a bit saucy, <laughs> a bit steamy. Of course, dad had forgotten his glasses. Comes back down, <laughs> comes back down into the living room, puts his glasses on. He's like, oh, hello. What's going on here? But to have your parents sitting in 
in the theatre yeah. watching you. It's that, yeah. it's like, I love it. There's definitely a story in there somewhere, isn't there? <laughs> it's what therapy in there. I about that. <laughs> well, I see, that's why I pick music over theatre, Mark. That's all I can say. I don't, I, don't, I don't mind my parents seeing me thrashing my guitar, but certainly not. Anyway. Um, <laughs> But moving on, um, one of the other things yes. that Samantha mentioned that was wonderful was this idea about this, the mountain peaks, climbing mm. that first mountain. It's a very good analogy. And we hear that a lot, not just in book writing, but in lots of things in the world where you're trying to climb the ladder of success. You get to the top of the peak and you see this wonderful view and this massive mountain <laughs> blocking out the sun. And it is a bit like that though, isn't it? It's a bit like that. Yes. And, you know, if you're going to have a career in this industry, you have to keep focused on the writing. As she said, keep focused on the writing. You have to enjoy the process and live in the moment. I know we're all about setting goals and thinking about dreams, and those are great, and you put them up there. But when you're writing, you have to live in the moment. You have to enjoy what you're doing right here and now. You have to, you know, for all the ups and downs, and sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's great, you have to enjoy the process. You have to enjoy digging away and, and you know, climbing the mountain or whatever. Yeah. Because um, if you think it's all going to be fun and games, you know, it's, it's not. Some days no. are going to be worse than others. But uh, it's worth it when it is fun. But, yeah, live in that moment. Yeah. You know, tapping the keys, writing in your notebook, whatever, however you do it. And, and it's also about stopping and enjoying the view wherever you're at because, and that's what we do in the academy, this idea about sh celebrating and sharing your wins. So each week we put out a newsletter which talks about all of the wins that everyone in the academy, big yeah, or yeah, small. Yeah. Like what, what is a win to you? It doesn't matter if it's tiny, but it, for someone else, it might be a massive thing for you just to be able to write five days in a row. And so this idea of stopping and celebrating and acknowledging that we are making progress. But I do think a really good analogy of this climbing the mountain is sometimes we're not ready for the really the next big mountain. If we try to climb that first, we we would, you know, it could be all kinds of disasters happening. But I think sometimes it's about climbing that mountain that you you can see in front of you because it gives you the strength, it, it exercises those muscles, it gets you fit in some ways to take on that next bigger mountain. And it doesn't feel any harder when you do the bigger mountain. It's just that you've been working away and you practiced it. Um, so I think as well, it's good to remember that every step that you take up that mountain, you are getting fitter you're sharpening the saw you know your, your 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 prose is getting you know a little bit better every day when you're working at it your storytelling chops are getting a little bit better every day that you work on the plot so you know it's worth remembering that that today if you've written you've you've added something to your journey as a writer um and it's always important to remember that but yeah it's good to recognize that it's uh it can be a bit daunting when you get to the top of one and you see another one right in front of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, compare and despair. That was a, a thing I'd not heard of before about social media. I like that. Compare <laughs> and despair. There's definitely a, a lot happening on social media right now, isn't there, with kind of backlashes around the things that aren't so great about it. I'm done with Twitter. I mean, I I, I schedule stuff at the beginning of the week for the podcast mm. and I pop in a couple of times a day and it's like... Um, Opening a door 
and everyone's yelling and screaming and throttling each other and you go hello and then you close the door again <laughs> and get with your life i don't want to be in there anymore i'm i'm so done with it but uh weirdly this week though because of the julie waters thing and everything i've been getting people saying oh well done okay so yeah. i you know i get notification i pop in i say thank you very much but i yeah it's not good for you it really and the thing is it's a tool that we have to use as an author because it's a great way to reach out to readers I I just can't spend – if I go in there, it's for five minutes at a time. That's yeah. It. I did have a bit of a rant about it, actually, in the life coaching session this week where I said to people, you know, we shouldn't – we should be careful not to bash um, – you know, like a knife can be a weapon or it can be a tool depending on how it's used. I think using mm. something like Twitter, using something like Facebook, go in, use it and be focused about what you're using it for. Like it's great if you want to promote an event that's happening, if you want to – you know, talk about what's happening with a new book. If you want to go and congratulate people on things they've achieved, I think that's that's a really great vibe. Obviously, there's the other side of it where everyone's kind of arguing and and one upping each other. Just just have to avoid that. Um, and it's no different from life. You know, you can go into a pub where everyone's really friendly, and you know, everyone's like welcoming. Or you can walk into a pub and everyone does that. Mark, stay, turn, and look. I'll give you that look, right? Which He's is talking the, about the trailer. The trailer, yeah, sorry. <laughs> the trailer for his new movie. If you haven't seen the trailer, go check out the stairs. It's like, you know, I fear walking into that pub because they, those pubs do exist. And you walk in there and you think, oh, I'm not from these parts, am I? And it's like... The, the, the difference is in a pub, you can have a nuanced conversation. You can't do that on social media, not anymore. It's yeah. it, There's so much, it's either black or white. You're this side or that side. It's sharks versus the jets, you know, and it's not a place where it's not a place for grown ups to have a conversation. So I'm kind of like you. I put positive vibes out there and then shut the door and get yeah. on with my day. Be the be yeah. a social media platform you want to be in the world. <laughs> it's like yes. only yeah. do only say nice things, only be good. And if if there's stuff that, you know, I mean, it's yeah, it can be very disheartening when when you get stuck it's, into one of those kind of. It's funny. Spats. Someone liked a tweet of mine from like 2012 or something like that, and it was quite wow. a snarky comment. And I looked at that and I thought, oh gosh, I'm not that person anymore. Interesting. So I paid for a service that deletes your tweets. So anything more than two years old, gone. Really? Because there's a part of me thinking. I've probably made some really snarky comment about something or someone in the past, and I don't want that to come back and bite me in the ass. So all gone. All gone. Interesting. And, um, yeah, I recommend. I hope you've archived them locally, though, for your anthology nope. when you're in your 80s. <laughs> nope. That would be Well, the thing is, it is utterly worthless. Utterly. There's nothing I've written on there that I'm proud of, frankly. <laughs> you know, it's either, it's either thank you very much or, you know, or whatever. I, it has no value whatsoever. It's a gushing sewer. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of done with it. Like I say, I pop in and say hello and thank people and I schedule stuff at the mm. beginning of the week. So it's a bit like a sandwich board as well. Buy my book, mm. blah, 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 or listen to the podcast, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then that's it. Yeah. It's interesting. And we also, I think everyone has a love-hate relationship with social media. I always see those posts and I always laugh when I see them. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm never going to be here. Just saying goodbye to everyone. I'm, I'm finished. I'm go. Bye. I'm, I'm going. I'm going. And then they go. Two days later. Two days later, you see in the comments <laughs> further down, I just popped back just because I was, just because I was expecting a message. I didn't want to feel... And then like two months later, they're like, da -da 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 every Back, day. Yeah, yeah. But do you know what that is though? Do you know what that is? It's the nature of social media and that it has this, 
it is addictive. I mean, the, uh, we told a story. If you go back to the BJ Fogg uh, interview I did, the guy that gave mm. the guy who started Twitter, uh, sorry, started Instagram, the idea for Instagram, you know, it goes down to behavioral psychology. Like these people who build these systems know, they know every single weakness that we have as a human being and they've baked it into the system. And, but we, we're going to get there, Mark. I think the internet is still, it's still a kick in teen. You know, it is really big scheme of things. I know it feels like it's been around forever, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, half our life, we didn't have the internet. Um, mm. We're still in, it's still all screaming and yelling. I think there's going to be a lot of good things that are going to change. I've heard a lot of great ideas around different new social media platforms. Facebook won't be around forever. No. Um, I know that I, I, I had 200,000 fans on MySpace. See how that panned out. So, um, but yeah, very, very interesting. They all came to your first gig. They did all come to my first gig. They did. They did. And uh, and then Facebook closed and they didn't know where my second gig was. Because even though I promoted it, no one was there to read about where it was happening. Absolutely nailed it. Brilliant. Oh, Mark, let's dive into some social media this week. I know there's a lot of good stuff happening there. After that big rant, of course. Yeah, let's let's not call it social media anymore. Let's call it... Let's talk about the wins of our listeners and academates and experiments, <laughs> wherever they were posted. Uh, okay, where do we start? So Robin Sarti, Robin, who runs uh, Bellwood uh, Books uh, and is, you know, a member of the, uh, has been a member of the Academy, a member of the best, been supporting us since day one, I, I mm. guess. Um, just amazing, much valued member of our community. She's published six journals this month uh, under Bellwood Journal. So she started with the idea of a reading journal and it blossomed from there. So she's uh, she's done a writing journal, a focus journal, a recipe journal, uh, a dot grid notebook and a reading journal. I'll pop a link in the show notes to that because it's such a lovely idea, such a simple idea um, and beautifully done. They've got beautiful covers. So Robin has published poetry on Bellwood before. She's also done the sort of adapted fairy tales as well, anthologies. So big congrats there, Robin. Great stuff there. Um, Lynn Clark, I just want to give Lynn Clark, she's because uh, she wrote says Joe Sordoni and um, she's just updated her website. And this is something we've been talking about in the academy having a presence away from social media, having your own website, your own sort of flag in the internet. And so she's just um, been polishing up uh, her new website. So it's www.joesordoni. So that's Joe, J O S O R. D-O-N-I.co.uk. And one of the reasons I'm plugging it is because she did my favourite fantasy writers of all time, and I'm in there. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you very, very much. So, very uh, yeah. Good. yeah. Well, congratulations, um, um, you know, congratulations, Lynn, as well, because we, we're developing this, I- this idea in the Academy called the Milestones. And the idea is that there are certain milestones, big and small, that we all hit in our journey. And one of those is launching your first or launching your writer's website. So congratulations for hitting that milestone. Fantastic. Super stuff. Now, um, WJ Kite, also a member of the Academy, um, he did, and you and I were judges on this, weren't we, Mr. D? He launched a writing writing tournament for young writers based around the theme of Border Reavers, which is what he's uh, writing his novel about. And um, we got to read uh, the shortlisted entries they were terrific. Yeah, they were really, brilliant. really, really well written. And there's two categories. There's, uh, what is it? There's, um, I think it's eight to 12, and then there's the teens. And uh, they've been published in this anthology on the Border Reavers. And again, I'll put a link in the show notes to this so you can check that out. Um, really, really good. He's also, there's a wonderful YouTube interview with the two winners 
Uh, and I'll tell you what, they're so erudite, they're well-read. One of them's talking about Edgar Allan Poe. I didn't even know who Edgar Allan Poe was at that age. So, um, yeah, just to, the, the the future of writing is in very, very safe hands. You can rest assured Definitely. on that. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, it's absolutely brilliant. I, I mean, WJ Kite, here's, here's an example of someone who's, you know, came into the academies, is working on his own his own you know, career as a writer, but has kind of given back into the world of writing by yeah. spending a lot of time. And this is planned over a whole, I remember he asked us about a year ago, didn't he, Mark, if we would yeah. actually be the kind of finals judges. And, and just before Christmas, we got this lovely um, word document with all of the finalists and we had to then read through them. But what I loved about this whole project was the fact that you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait until you know you're Michael Connolly or to, to, to no. kind of start putting back into the community. And it's such a brilliant thing that that um, you know William's been doing there. I think it's 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 so important to kind of give back to the community and um, just you know to anyone out there who's doing that, who's supporting young writers, who's supporting your local library, who's supporting independent bookshops good on you and good on you for making all that happen because it takes every single individual one of us to do that to keep all of these great things going and, and paying it forward to the next generation absolutely brilliant it was a real privilege to be a part of it, it was, also yeah. uh, we mentioned last week uh jan carr unboxing her unboxing video and the lovely smile on her face well i got a smile on my face today because my copy of the wonder girls resist arrived brilliant. Uh, she Look did this on kickstarter and it is oh such a lamb. beautiful cover a uh, bit of Bit of bit embossing there, beautiful cover. It is fantastic, but she did this all through Kickstarter, and oh. uh, yeah, can't wait to um, to jump into. It. I got I I got the the level where I get a little badge as well, so I got my little badge there too. It's like Christmas so. every week for us, isn't it? In the bestseller yeah, experiment, yeah, 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 absolutely. absolutely fantastic. Oh. And uh, let's end uh, the social media roundup with a public declaration. And this is from Jeff White. Uh, so Jeff uh, has. As, a, as have a lot of people who have had a, a tough old year. And so meeting the 2021 um, declarations has been a bit of a chore. So, you know, going to throw in things like COVID and losing family members. And, you know, it's been it's been pretty, pretty tough. So uh, Jeff says, so for various reasons, a lot of my goals last year were not met. We, were not met, which means I'm being kind to myself this year and trying to be more realistic about what I will actually be able to accomplish. So I will publish The Swordsman's Descent by the end of June, six months after I thought I'd have to have the book out. I'm also going to concentrate on getting my freelance copywriting side hustle going. Uh, one of the reasons I've struggled for writing time is I've had to take on a lot of poorly paid part-time work. Freelance copywriting will pay four times the hourly rate. So if you're looking for a copywriter... Jeff's your man. Jeff's your and man. then he's then he's gonna plot the next book, The Dragon's Bond. His goal is to have a zero draft of that written by the end of the year. So uh Jeff, they're in the diary. We're all there to support you on the BXP group on Facebook. We're cheering you along all the way. So good luck with that, Jeff. Brilliant stuff. And if you have a dream declaration, hey, it might be the end of January, it'll be the beginning of February. It doesn't matter. It forget about time, 12 month cycles. You made that up anyway. Tomorrow is a brand new day and you start your new writing tomorrow. So send us your dream declaration at any point during this year if you want us to pop it in the diary, read it out and give you that accountability that you need. It works, folks. 
It absolutely works. If you want to go beyond that, um, we ask all of our academy members to write their dream declaration out um, on the website. And then it kind of gets tied into their journey, if you like, on the academy as to what they're aiming to do. And then they're kind of doing it with a group of other writers who've all put their dream declarations out as well. So it's a super, super way of, um, you know, kind of having a, a band of merry writers all kind of inspiring each other along the way. It's absolutely fantastic. So come and come and check out the Academy. Um, Mr. State, I, I hope you have a fantastic week this week. Thank it's, you. You too, sir. feels like we are now fully well and truly into the beginning of this new 2022. So much adventure awaits us down the road. <laughs> and uh, and hopefully everyone out there is keeping healthy and well and um, make this a good, good writing week. And, you know, in the words of Jeff, be kind to yourself. Be kind yeah. to yourself. I think that's a great, great thing. So how can people find out and get in contact with us, Mark, on socials and email? You can find us at Bestseller Experiment on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. And pop along to the bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. You can drop us a line. Big thank you as always to our editors, Dave and JD. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, do please give us a rating, subscribe, rate, review, tell your writer friends, tell your writer groups, send them in our direction. All are welcome. Brilliant. And if you'd like an email um, every week about our latest episode and what you're going to learn from it, then come along to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the newsletter button and sign up, and we will send you a link to all the different ways you can listen to the podcast. And I will also ask you folks, if you love this podcast, if you absolutely have found it useful, please tell a writing friend or 10. It's how this podcast <laughs> has grown to one of the biggest podcasts, writing podcasts in the world, Mr. Stay, isn't it? But we still would love to inspire more people and pay it forward to the next generation, get people listening to the bestseller experiment. So please put it out there. I've just It's just occurred to me, uh, you said be kind to yourself this week. Um, and on, on Friday, this might get us a few more listeners to the podcast. I'm doing an in-store live event with Ben Aronovich. I'll uh, see you on the. I'll report back and see you on the other side. <laughs> oh my goodness, that will be interesting. Waterstones, oh, Canterbury, all sold out, completely sold, sold out. out. Yep. yep, Mr. Ben Aronovich. Well, it's you know be what? Fun. It's gonna be fun. <laughs> and, and and if you get a little jar, if you get a little jar mark on the side there, for the, and what everyone has to put in a pound or five pounds every time the words draft is mentioned i think we'd be millionaires wouldn't we it'll fund the podcast for a year <laughs> wouldn't it? exactly <laughs> that should be our new patron campaign <laughs> all right folks if you don't know what we're talking about go back and have a listen ben aronovich probably the most fun that we could have with our clothes on and the, the, i think i think actually the um the most voted the most popular episode yes ever yeah. uh pretty much so go check that out go to the website it's on there ben aronovich all right folks have a great writing week and it's a goodbye from mark one and goodbye from mark two goodbye, goodbye.